for joining us. This is Charlie Lofton, lead pastor at the Grove Church, and glad that you are with us again. And we have been, last week, we spent some time talking, just kind of this overview about the book of Proverbs, and just kind of really taking a deep dive into kind of a lot of people's favorite book, and a lot of people, a lot of a book that a lot of people just um, avoid because they don't really know how to approach it. And so in the, in the process last week of talking about the, the overview of, of Proverbs, and if you didn't catch that, I encourage you to check that out. We kind of came across three questions that I think that we're going to have to really answer if we really want to understand uh, the book of Proverbs and get the most out of it we possibly can. Uh, well, the first one, the one we'll be talking about today is when we said that Proverbs, that in order for it to be a proverb, it's a pithy statement that is generally true. Well, how do I approach scripture when, when, when it's only generally true? And then in the next couple of weeks, we're going to talk a little bit about Solomon, why he's just kind of a, he's kind of a weird guy to, to be the author of wisdom. His life does not really match what we would expect somebody who is wise to be. And then finally, we'll get a little more practical there in a couple, here in a couple of weeks where we just kind of talk about now, based on all of these things that we know. What is the best way to study, read, approach this, especially when it's kind of, um, it's just kind of random. It's not, it's not, it's not, it's not organized in the way that most people who kind of have Western brains really like to read and approach things, especially the Bible. So again, today, uh, we're talking about today is how do we deal with this fact that it's generally true? And I, and, and I, and I guess, I guess I just, you would give you an example of that. You may be like, what are, what are you even talking about? And the example, there's a couple of them here. And the first one is one you may, may not be familiar with. And we'll talk about another one you are a little bit more familiar with. The first one's in Proverbs chapter 10, verse 3, where it says this, that the Lord does not let the righteous go hungry, but he thwarts the craving of the wicked. Now, if I were to ask you, is that true? Is it like God protects the righteous from going hungry and, and is opposed to wicked people? I say, is that true? And I think I mean, you probably do this little thing with your head where you go, eh, yeah, I guess I guess that's I guess that's true. But you can also imagine, and you don't have to imagine, you can probably think. You just know that there there are plenty of people out there, godly people who are going hungry, and um there are plenty of wicked people out there who doesn't it does not seem um that their cravings are being thwarted. I will not use any specific examples here of people because you know everybody's got their own definition of wicked. Um, but there is probably somebody who you consider to be on the wrong team doing the wrong things that when you look at them and you just, and, and you just, it just makes you mad to see how prosperous they are. And you wish that Proverbs 10, three were more true than what it is. And so that's an example of something that is generally true, but isn't always the case. And another one, and I think this one probably hits home a little bit more with some of us, especially those of us who are parents. And it's Proverbs 22, 6. And this is a pretty familiar proverb. It says, train up a child in the way that he should go. And we is old, he will not depart from it. So the basic idea of that verse is like, if you are a good parent and you train up your kid in the right way, that when they get older, they will stay on that path. Now, again, I asked that same question that I asked before. Would you say that that is true? Do you think that's true? And again, you'll do that thing with your head where rather than doing yes or no, you're just kind of bobbing it side to side. And you like, and, and you know, you get a little high pitch. Yeah, yeah, I'm, 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 I see, I see that. You know, if, if I were to say that typically good parents produce good kids and their good kids become good adults, it'd be pretty easy to say that that's generally true. But is it always true? Well, it's not always true. 
And even those adults that are become good adults that were good kids from good parents, there were certainly times that they departed from it. And so we read that sometimes, be a good parent and your child will go up great. We read that like it is a promise of God. And if you read that like it is a 100% true promise of God, and then all of a sudden as your kids get older, you see them departing from the path, then you start can, you can very easily start to feel a whole lot of guilt and shame. God gave me a conditional promise, be a good parent and you'll have great kids when they're older. And you don't have great kids when they're older and you think, well, that must mean I'm a terrible parent. And again, part of that comes from a misunderstanding of the way that Proverbs work. Proverbs is not a 100% guarantee, but basically telling you, hey, you, if you will be a good parent, generally you will have good kids. And so training up a child in the way that he should go, be a good parent and you'll have a good kid. It's not a promise. It is just a general promise truth of life. And so I think it's important for us then at this point to ask the questions of, well, how do you, how do you then interpret that? I mean, like, how do you, what is it? It's in the scripture though. And and scripture is, is true. When I, and I read the Bible, it's supposed to be true. I read something from Paul and Paul says that Jesus created the heavens and the earth and created everything. That isn't generally true. It means that he, he created everything, you know, and it says, you know, and Jesus healed two blind men. Well, he didn't generally heal them. He healed them. And if there is a, a, a word of prophecy in the scripture that says this is going to happen, you know, generally that'll happen. We, we expect when we approach scripture to read something and it's just capital T true. So how do we approach Proverbs then? And I think it's really important for us to understand first this fairly simple idea that I hope that we all, all understand is that there are different genres of scripture. There, there are different styles, types of writing. Like if you think about the letters of Paul, that's essentially doctrinal teaching in the form of a letter. The gospels are typically historical accounts of Jesus, but they're not told in kind of the same way that one would think an autobiography would be, but it's essentially, it's, 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 it's an historical story. But even in the gospels, we have things called parables. Parables, which are these illustrations that Jesus uses to make a moral point. So, for example, this guy like the, uh, say, the prodigal son, it says, a man had two sons and one of the younger son came to him and said, I want my inheritance now. For that story to be true doesn't mean that Jesus is literally talking about two guys, a guy who literally had two sons. He's not, he's not thinking about somebody else. Oh, I got to tell you a story about old Ted and James and, and Lewis. I mean, it's, it's, it's not literally true in that sense. He's telling a parable. And what is true about that parable is the point that Jesus is trying to make is in fact true. And so if we have doctrinal teaching, we expect the doctrine to be taught to be true. If we have history, we expect that that thing actually happened. If you have a story that is told, again, if it's a story like about Jesus, we expect um, we expect that those things to have happened. But even more than that, we expect the point of the story to be true. We expect David, David, David killed Goliath. We expect that to be one factually true. And we also expect the big idea, the point of the story to be true, which is with God, if God is on your side and is calling you to do something, he will show up strong. You expect that to be true. Then you've got parables, which are figures of speech. You've got poems. And we've got Proverbs. 
And so I think it's important for you. Let's just take one quick step back to make sure that you guys understand where we come from as far as what we expect and understand the scriptures to be. And so I'm going to give you um, three kind of theological terms that we're just going to banter about here for just a second. And the first one is inspiration. We believe that the Bible is inspired by God. Second Timothy 3.16 talks about that, that all scripture is inspired by God. It's God breathed. And what we mean by that is that the source of the scripture is it's from God. God is intimately involved in the creation of this. It, it, is, it is sourced from God himself. That's what we mean by inspiration. So when we read the scriptures, we understand that not only are God's fingerprints on this, but it is, it is again, 2 Timothy 3 says it's breathed out of him. It comes from inside of him, which then very naturally leads to the second piece, which is inerrancy. If, if, if this information came from God, we know that it's true, that God is not going to say something false. And, and some people may object to that and say, well, it was, it was written, though, or told by imperfect humans. So I guess that, that we can talk about this at some point later. If we do, a, we probably do a series at some point in the future on theology. We can go a little bit more into the doctrine of inerrancy. Let me just say this very simply, that um, whether or not you think that God can give you something perfect through an imperfect person has a lot more to do with how big you think God is versus how significant you think sin is. Sin can be overwhelmingly significant and God is big enough and strong enough and powerful enough to get to us an unconfusing, true message. And so here at The Grove, and me personally, we believe in the inerrancy of Scripture and that what Scripture says, we can, te- we can understand that it will be true. Well, how do you get at that truth has to do with interpretation. And what we believe is in what we'll call a literal interpretation. And so, and then it's like, whoa, 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 whoa. What, what are you talking about here? You, you, you just said that there are parts, including Proverbs, that you cannot take literally. Let me make sure that we understand what we mean by literal interpretation. Literal interpretation, what we mean is, is that when you read it, what, what does it mean? What, the plain meaning of it based on its grammar and its history. So these things are placed in historical context. It was said by someone at a particular time and using a particular type of speech. A metaphor, if I'm, I'm, I'm not going to literally interpret a metaphor in the strictest sense of the word. Psalm 23, the Lord is my shepherd. For that to literally be true would be that he is a shepherd and I'm a sheep and he's got one of those little staffs and I've got, and, you know, and, and I've got wool. It's not literally true in that sense. That is um, parts of speech. Is it a simile? No, it is a metaphor, you know, because remember, similes use like or as. Write that down. Um, But a metaphor says the Lord is my shepherd, but he's not literally a shepherd. But when you use a metaphor like that, what a metaphor is, the plain meaning of a metaphor is that there is a connection, that there are some qualities of a shepherd that God has. The connection. And the qualities that a shepherd has to a sheep are very similar to some of the qualities that God has with us. And the rest of that psalm in Psalm 23 goes on to explain some of the particulars of that. And so we take that literally in that the specific ways that God is like a shepherd are absolutely 
true. And so you read a poem like Psalm 23 and you understand that it has figurative language. And so then, then you understand, but the point, the plain meaning, what the author meant using this particular style of speech, we can understand that that is true. And so one of the worst uh, examples of this is in the book of Job, which is all written as one big long poem which means that it's all very figurative. But not only that, it's these long speeches given by these people that God ultimately rebukes in the end for their bad theology. So you read this whole speech by this guy and you'd be like, man, this guy's got a point. And then at the end of the Bible, God rebukes him for his bad theology. And you go back and like, well, what do, how do I even read or understand this at all? So thankfully, we're not talking about Job today because that's really difficult to understand. Proverbs is a little more straightforward. The normal plain meaning of a proverb is This is good advice that in general will produce good results. And so what that means for you is that this thing that is asking me to do, this is a good thing for me to do, even if I can't 100% guarantee that the promise that comes with it will be true. Now, there's a part of you that can, will, will be a little bit out of shape by that. Like, I want God to give me some sort of straightforward promise. Be a good parent and you'll have great kids. And I don't want to insult anybody here, but just imagine being the type of person that rejects really good wisdom because you are not guaranteed what the best results are. And so uh, an analogy of this would be, so it is a good idea to stop at a red light. I guess that wasn't very pithy enough, you know, but the idea is like you should stop at a red light. Well, well, if, if I don't, what's going to happen? Well, if you don't stop at a red light, um, you're going to get T-boned and ha- be in an accident. Well, I ran a red light once before and it didn't happen. Like, well, well, okay. Just, I mean, just because something, you know, bad didn't happen that one time doesn't mean you should do it every time. Just because something is not 100% guaranteed to work or 100% guaranteed to fail doesn't mean that there's not great wisdom. The fact that you cannot guarantee that your kid's going to be good doesn't mean you shouldn't try to be a good parent. I mean, it's like, well, I mean, what am I going to put all this work into for if I'm going to try to be a good parent and, and he may not even turn out to be a good kid. It's just simpler and easier to be a terrible parent. And then, you know, he's going to be a bad kid, which is, I mean, a very immature approach to life to say that I'm only going to do the right thing if I can guarantee that I will have success. And so what happens there? is that, again, we are missing the forest for the trees here because what what the author here is trying to do, he's trying to make a case, big picture, for you to live a life of wisdom. And we're going to see these, these themes running all throughout the book of Proverbs. A big one is going to be about money. Another one is going to be about relationships, both marriage relationships, relationships with friends, relationships with your kids. What does it mean to be a good friend? What does it mean to be a good wife? What does it mean to be a good parent? And he's going to have some advice on, hey, generally speaking, these are the best ways to go. And, and, and these are the things that you should do. And generally speaking, if you do these good things, good things will happen. And generally speaking, if you do these bad things, bad things will happen. But one thing that you can for sure take away from it is If the book of Proverbs says, you're reading the Proverbs, that this is a good thing to do, it is a good thing to do. It is the wise decision. It is the smart decision. You can't 
guarantee the results. You can't say for certain that I'm 100% certain that I will get the best possible outcome from this. But that's not simply what we're trying to do. We're not simply, we're not only trying to get the best outcome. We are also trying to live the right way. And so we kind of put with this, just our, our study and our understanding of Proverbs, that living the right way is more than just getting the best results. Living the right way, wisdom begins with an understanding of God. Living the right way is required of me. But one of the things that the book of Proverbs is trying to do, big picture is, is to help you understand that living the right way according to God's plan is by and large and generally speaking going to lead to great results a lot of the time. We spend so much time, I think, getting ourselves bent out of shape by that few times that we can remember doing the right thing and a bad and having a bad result that we tend to go now the path of the foolish one, which is, well, since I didn't get the good result this one time, I'm now going to pursue foolishness so I can at least get a short-term benefit because I didn't get the long-term benefit that I was promised. Again, you read Proverbs long enough and you're going to realize that that's the way that foolish people think. And that's what I mean when I say that we're missing the forest for the trees. In our obsession and over-focus about whether or not I can take this proverb as an unconditional promise, we miss the big picture idea that my life, I owe my life to God. I have to do right by what God says. And what I need to do is to live a life of wisdom. And so we'll finish with uh, one of my favorite Proverbs. And it's in Proverbs 3, uh, 5, and 6, where uh, Solomon says that you trust in the Lord with all your heart and don't lean on your own understanding and in all your ways acknowledge him and he will make your path straight. Now, I know I spent all of this time talking about something being generally true, and that is generally true in the sense that when you trust God and don't depend on your own understanding and, and, and submit yourself and acknowledge him, God will direct your path. I would like to suggest that that one, backed up by other scripture, is not just generally true, but it is very specifically universally true. The general truth of it is we are often misunderstanding what God making our path straight means, what it means that he's going to lead us, to guide us, to direct us. And it's not always going to be, generally speaking, that we are always going to get the best result and the best thing is going to happen to us every time. But what Solomon, what the scripture, what God is trying to communicate, if you will live a life of wisdom, God will be with you. And you will live a life on a much straighter path than the fool will. And so I encourage you. I encourage you to just take the wisdom as it is. And, and whether or not the promise that comes with it is always true or not, um, that's okay. And when you find the ones that it's like, man, that feels true. I don't know that it's always true. I think that's a great opportunity not to reject that proverb but to dive deeper in what makes this situation more complicated than a simple pithy statement. And then you'll learn a little bit more about yourself, about God, and about life from that. And we'll talk about that a little bit more in a couple of weeks as we talk about the best way to study and approach 
uh, the book of Proverbs. Hey, thanks so much for joining us. And again, I hope you caught last week's overview. And again, we'll be talking about this for the next couple of weeks. Thanks for joining us. Uh, You can find out more about us at thegrovechurch.org. And we would love to see you on a Sunday, either online or in person. Thanks again for joining us.